Hey, BSN Denver listeners. We're really excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible. Make sure you check them out today. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, and has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural. It's also not psychoactive, and the coffee is rich and tasty. We could not recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2010 at checkout. That's promo code BSN2018 to get your StravaCraft coffee for 20% off and shipped straight to your door. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumwood. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. Welcome to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by InWeGo. It's the subscription that can get you into almost any event in Denver with promo code BSN50. Tuesday edition of the show, Harrison Wind, across the table from me is Christian Clark. We got another win to talk about on tonight's show. 105-99, the Nuggets beat the Grizzlies. But I want to start with somebody who played zero minutes last night, but somebody who certainly sparked a lot of conversation around Denver and around the country when the Nuggets officially announced that they had signed the one and only Nick Young to a deal Monday morning. Were you surprised at this signing? Because I wasn't too surprised. And if you're a listener of the BSN Nuggets podcast, maybe you shouldn't have been that surprised after all. No, I wasn't surprised. And you pretty much spoke this one into existence like you're a LeVar Ball or something like that. We were talking Sunday night about the possibility of the Nuggets bringing in an extra body on the wing. I threw out Corey Brewer. You threw out Nick Young. I think Corey Brewer probably would have been the better option, to be honest. But Swaggy P is definitely the more fun option from a, a media perspective. You know, people were going nuts when this signing was announced. There were 10,000 weed jokes in like the first 30 minutes of this signing being announced. Harrison, I'm going to hit you with some Colorado facts right now. Weed is legal in Colorado. Uh, we have good craft beer in Denver. And did you know that Philip Lindsay is from the state of Colorado? <laughs> Damn it, you stole my joke. No, I didn't know that. I learned something new today, though. Wow. Yeah. Doesn't he like also live at home and idolize Terrell Davis? Well, we've also got this place called Red Rocks Amphitheater. Pretty cool place to go see a show in case you haven't heard. <laughs> Definitely. No, I'm going to push back on what you said. I think Nick Young was a better sign than Corey Brewer. Okay. Nuggets need shooting right now. They need shooting. Corey Brewer can't really shoot the ball. Nick Young, in theory, can shoot the ball. 37% three-point shooter for his career. Oof. Yeah, I guess there are some guys struggling with their outside shot. I just like what Brewer brings you from a defense perspective. He's and more you know a, he's just going to like play balls to the wall every night, too. He's more of a plug-and-play guy. Nick Young last night did not prove to be a plug-and-play guy, seeing how Tyler Lydon got in ahead of him. 
Yeah, I also don't know how like Corey Brewer looks right now too. Like I haven't seen him work out or anything recently. He might be retired for all we know. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't exactly have like the inside intel or anything, but yeah, they uh, so yeah, the Nuggets inked Nick Young to a deal here. Officially came down on Monday. So here's the parameters of this contract. We should probably inform the listeners of what the Nuggets are looking at with Nick Young. They have the uh, injured player exception, right? Because they have four guys who are going to be out for two or more weeks here. And so Nick Young's going to be able to be on the roster until one of those guys gets back. Then they'll have to waive Nick Young, or they could waive somebody else on the roster and sign Nick Young to that roster spot. So that's where Nuggets at with Nick Young. I would speculate that they'll probably see if he can be a contributor here for the next couple weeks and then probably make a call on that when they have to be. But based on what we saw Monday night, the Nuggets probably won't use him unless they have to. He's kind of like in case of emergency type of guy. Yeah, and in case you're wondering, you know, Nick Young having one foot out the door in his NBA career, did it at all humble him? Uh, The answer is no. Nick Young immediately came in and started referring himself in the third person. Yeah. And you know what? I respect it. I respect the goal. I am 100% here for it. Yeah, when when you develop a brand as an NBA player over a 12-year career, you can't exactly abandon it all yeah. of a sudden. Hey, you can't just come in here and start calling yourself I and me one day. You have to call yourself Swaggy P. Yeah, you might have had one foot out the league. You might have been watching the first two months of the season at home on your couch in L.A., but, I mean, if you're Swaggy P, you're Swaggy P. You can't divert from that. Well said. Well, let's get into this game. Nuggets top the Grizzlies without any help from Nick Young. I don't know. Maybe he was uh, a nice little voice in the locker room. 105-99 over Memphis. Did you have this pegged as a game you thought the Nuggets were going to win when you rolled into Pepsi Center on Monday uh, afternoon? No, I I definitely thought this was an L, which was probably a good sign for the Nuggets since I've got like two-thirds of these games wrong this year. (laughs) That's not the first prediction you've gotten wrong this year. I'll I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah, we're not going to bring any of your, your bad predictions up right now, I guess, huh? We could go there if you want. We could we could go there. Right, if you let's want. get into the game. I want to start with Nikola Jokic's game. Twenty-seven points for Jokic, twelve rebounds, six assists. Thought he really won the matchup with Marcus All, who's probably a leading candidate for Defensive Player of the Year right now. What do you think of Jokic's night as a whole? Because as well as Monte Morris played, as well as some of the Nuggets guys played in the second half, this was Jokic's night. I felt like. Jokic dominated his matchup against Marcus Hall. Uh, Monte Morris provided some support there third and fourth quarters, but the Nuggets wouldn't have even been in this game if Nicole Jokic just hadn't been a monster through the first three quarters or, or whatever it was. I mean, the Nuggets obviously are struggling to manufacture offense without three of their starters. I mean, Jokic just put the team on his back. I mean, a, a lot of buckets down low. He got Gasol in early foul trouble, which I thought was huge for Denver. Uh, yeah. He pretty much did the same move to get Gasol those two early fouls, too. He, he just kind of ripped left, went baseline, and sort of drove into his body and went up with it. Jokic got to the free throw line nine times in this game. He knocked down eight of those. I mean, he pre- pretty much did everything, and, and he did it on both sides of the floor as well. Yeah, my take about Jokic right now, and I don't even think this is too hot, looking back at it, kind of tease this on Twitter, but I'll get it off now. I was planning on sitting on it till the end of the show, but I'll get it off right now. I think last night, and you can even go back a little bit to that Atlanta game, I think, because that was the first game the Nuggets were without three starters, and Jokic played really well, and then 
like the rest of this team, kind of ran out of gas in the third and fourth quarters. I think Nicole Jokic is going to make his all-star push over the next three weeks throughout the rest of December. I think he's going to put this Nuggets team on his back, post big-time offensive numbers similar to the 27 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists that he posted last night against Memphis. I believe he's going to post numbers over this next stretch, say over this next three-week stretch. That's very reminiscent of what he did to close last season when he really put the Nuggets on his back and nearly carried them to a playoff appearance. 30-point nights, 35-point nights, 12, 13 assist nights. I think we're going to see a lot of those games for Jokic over the next couple weeks. And we began to see it in Atlanta. We saw it a little against Memphis. Nuggets are out three starters right now. They don't have a ton of offensive firepower. Jamal Murray's banged up. They got guys like Wancho that they're relying on for their offense right now. They're relying on guys like Torrey Craig to hit outside shots. Jokic might not say it, but I definitely believe that he recognizes it within that He's got to up his level of play on the offensive floor a little bit. He's got to make up for Paul Millsap and Will Barton and Gary Harris being out right now. That's the only way the Nuggets are really going to score the ball is if he's scoring 20, 30 points a night. So I think he's going to start to really carry the Nuggets on the offensive end. They're going to play through him a ton like they did against Memphis. And you said it, he dominated Marcus Gasol, who came into this game as second in RPM among centers second in defensive RPM in the league, potentially a candidate for defensive player of the year right now. Uh, Jokic, just a quick note, is up to second in the league in RPM. But I think we saw the beginning of his all-star push last night. And I'll say this also, he shouldn't just be an all-star if he gets the Nuggets through this stretch unscathed. Say if he gets his Nuggets through the rest of December at a 500 level, he should probably be in the MVP discussion if he's able to carry these guys, the eight guys in Nuggets rotation right now without those three starters to a 500 mark in the month of December. He should probably get some MVP buzz. <laughs> I don't think I'm ready to start ready to start talking about the MVP yet. But If he carries Juancho Hernan Gomez, Malik Beasley, Mason Plumley, Trey Lyles, Jamal Murray to a 500 mark the rest of this month, with the teams they're going up against in the Western Conference, if he carries that group, I think he should be in the MVP discussion then. Yeah, I mean, there's still three and a half months of season after that, too. I mean, I, I'm just not ready to go there yet. But I, I agree that Jokic, I, I think he does know that he needs to up his scoring level a little bit right now with, with so many of Denver's you know key players sidelined. But he won't say it. I mean, if you ask him, like, hey, man, like, do you, do you kind of know that you need to be more aggressive when you guys are when you guys are so shorthanded? This was a quote from last night. We just need to play the same way. That's how we're going to be good. I, I don't. I think nobody needs to force anything. We just need to play like we're used to when the roster was healthy. I think no matter what the circumstances, Jokic is always just going to say that. Like he, he's never going to say I'm playing any differently. I'm. He's always just going to say I'm going to play the way I'm going to play. He's always going to say it, but I truly believe deep down he knows it, and his teammates know it too. That's the funniest part. I asked Monte Morris about it last night, and he went on about how Jokic is their franchise player. And then he slipped in this little line where he kind of smiled and looked at me and said, he knows it. He knows the Nuggets need him to score 25, 30 points for you know, them to get over 100, over 110 right now and maybe be in a lot of these games. I, I think he knows it deep down. Yeah, I agree with you. I just think Jokic does not enjoy playing the media game either because, you know, the media, the media's questions are, are kind of so predictable sometimes. Like, 
oh, do you know you need to be the man right now? And, and Jokic just does not want to do that dance at all. Uh, he, he doesn't want those headlines, I don't think. He doesn't want the spotlight. Yeah. He doesn't. He, he's a star player, but he wants to be a team-first guy. He, he doesn't want the credit, and he probably doesn't want the blame, too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he, he's all about doing the legwork behind the scenes, and he wants his team to have the success, which is a really special part about him. Agreed. Can we please talk about his one-legged fadeaway shot? He brought it back last night in the first quarter. Um, if you guys want to know what I'm talking about, it's in my Golden Nuggets post, number four. Uh, it happened in the first quarter, 225 mark. Jokic takes one dribble, leans backward, um, and he raises his left leg up, and Jokic is a right-handed player. So it's just this awkward-looking, wrong-footed fadeaway jumper, and he just swishes it. Jokic Brought this out a couple times last year. I'm just obsessed with this shot, Harrison, because it's a weird riff on on Dirk Nowitzki's one-legged fadeaway. But Dirk does it with his right leg raised up, and he's, of course, a right-handed player. So it looks a little bit more natural. This is the weirdest-looking shot I've ever seen in my life. I have no (laughs) idea how he makes this shot. Me neither. It's... I'm glad he's got a signature shot right now because it kind of feels like he needs one. Dirk's got one. All the NBA stars have a signature move. Maybe this is his, even though he only goes to it maybe like five times a season. But there's a backstory to why he went to this shot initially, right? Yeah, I mean, I I asked him about it last year, and this was right after he came back from missing seven games with a sprained ankle. And he he told me that he started toying around with this shot because – his um, left ankle was still kind of bothering him a little bit. And, of course, he, he jumps off his right foot on this shot. So it was really a shot he invented while he was kind of on the mend from a sprained ankle. He, mm-hmm. he probably wouldn't even tried something like this um, if he was at full strength. That's about the most Jokic story ever. He just invented a shot because he got hurt. His night was so impressive. I loved how he got Marcus all in foul trouble early, really just established himself in the first quarter. Here's some quick stats I just put together on how the Nuggets are utilizing Jokic this year and how much of a focal point he was last night. On the season, Jokic is averaging 85.1 touches per game. Last night versus Memphis, he had 93 touches, so a little bit of an increase there. On the season, Jokic is also averaging 6.9 post-ups per game, and this is per NBA.com. Last night versus Memphis, he had 11 post-ups. So it's not only that Jokic realizes that he's got to be more of a focal point. He's got to carry the load a bit more on the offensive end, not just from scoring, because all those post-ups don't end in Jokic field goal attempts. A lot of those post-ups end in open three-pointers or in open Jamal Murray layups when Jokic finds him on a little backdoor cut like he did in the fourth quarter beautifully last night. Uh, uh, Some of them do end in Jokic shots, but a lot of them end in assists as well. And so you get the feeling Jokic doesn't only realize that he needs to be more of a focal point, but the Nuggets also realize they got to ride their main horse right now. Even for kicks, I went back and looked at what his touches looked like in the last 18 games of 2018 and what his post-up looked like at the end of last season. And so to run over those numbers again, last night versus Memphis, 93 touches for Jokic. Last 18 games of 2018, he averaged 92.3 touches, so almost the exact same amount there. And then last night versus Memphis, 11 post-ups. Last 18 games of 2018, 8.9 post-ups. So even more post-ups last night than he was getting at the conclusion of last season. Yeah, let's talk about the the end of the game there. Um 
Jokic had a, a really big bucket late where he drove it right at Gasol. He tried this reverse layup. Uh, it hit off the rim, and Jokic immediately grabbed his rebound and flipped it in. That had to be demoralizing for Gasol, first of all, because that was really good defense, and it just kind of landed in Jokic's bread basket. Marc Gasol did not look good last night. No. Two of six? How does Memphis not get him more than six shots? Two rebounds? Can you believe Marc Gasol played 31 minutes and only got two rebounds last night? No. I, I mean, it's crazy. Jaron Jackson only got three rebounds. The Nuggets out-rebounded the Grizzlies. 40-33. to 33. I mean, this was a really slow-paced game with not a ton of possessions, but I mean, nobody out of the Grizzlies' five starters got more than three rebounds. Really bizarre game from Memphis's first five. Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, um, and then on the possession right after that where Jokic misses his own shot, rebounds, and flips it in, Jokic hooks up with Maria on that, that backdoor pass. I thought Scott Hastings made a, a pretty good point on the broadcast. I went back and watched a fourth quarter today. The Nuggets' bread and butter during crunch time has got to be the Murray-Jokic two-man game. And they got to go to that pick and roll, um, and they've got to rescreen a couple times if necessary, kind of like Conley and Gasol do late in games. But that's got to be the ticket for Denver, especially when Gary and Will and Paul are all sidelined. They, they need Jamal and Jokic to do their thing in the two-man game late. I want to talk about that more because I like where you're going with that. Let's go ahead and take a break real quick. We'll discuss that on the other side. Be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. This podcast is presented by InWeGo, the subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can for only 39 bucks per month with no additional cost or fees. You heard that right. As many events as you can fit into your schedule for only $39 per month. Brandon Spanos here, and he's going to tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, guys. This year alone, I've been to Avalanche games, Nuggets games, Rockies games, Rapids games, Buffs games. I've been to concerts, uh, beer tastings, food festivals. I even went to a few comedy shows, so it's literally changed my life. <laughs> if it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that InWeGo can get you in. And here's where it gets good. We've partnered with InWeGo to give BSN listeners a great deal. Go to InWeGo.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe to get 50% off your first month. That's right, all the events you can handle for less than $20 for your first month. Try it and fall in love with it like we did here at BSN Denver. Go to InWeGo.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by InWeGo, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here. I want to pick up with what we were talking about before that break, which you brought up, the Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic two-man game at the end of games. I couldn't agree more. The guy who the ball always seems to find late in fourth quarters of tight games is Jamal Murray, right? Even if he's in a 5 of 20 shooting night, even if he hasn't hit a three all night, even if he's turned the ball over, we know the ball is going to be in Jamal Murray's hands if he's going to be out on the court. And with how decimated the Nuggets rotation is with injuries right now. He's definitely going to be out on the court unless he's injured or whatnot. But the two-man game between him and Jokic, I agree with what Scott Hastings said on the broadcast. That's got to be a staple of the Nuggets' crunch time offense. Those two running dribble handoffs, pick and rolls, and if they don't get it once, bringing back out and them doing it again. That's got to be the core, I guess, of the Nuggets' crunch time offense. Probably your two best shot makers right now 
Jokic one, Murray two, and I feel like the ball's got to go between those guys at the end of games. Yeah, Murray is so good at that mid-range pull-up shot. He's probably been a better mid-range shooter than he has a three-point shooter so far in his NBA career. He's he's pretty dynamite from mid-range zones off the dribble there. That's a tough shot. When you get to that like 20-foot mark on the elbow and you're pulling up, that's a tougher shot than you think. He always hits it, though. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, if the defense is real aggressive, he's just got to get the ball to Jokic. And we know if Jokic gets that floater, that's pretty automatic for him. So those are two really good options for Denver. Right now, you know the ball's probably going to go to the one of those two guys because who else is going to be on the floor at the end of games? Maybe Mason Plumley, Wancho, Monte Morris is probably going to be out there a lot, down three starters. And Maybe we could transition into his night uh, because I said this a lot this year, but it's tough to find games this season where Monte Morris has played poorly and another huge game for him Monday against Memphis. 28 minutes, he hit a number of big time shots. His three point shot might be the most impressive part of his game right now. I'm not sure I saw this coming from him as a shooter. That was one of the concerns I definitely had about him at the beginning of the season would he be able to keep the defense on as playing on a second unit with Mason Plumley, where he would need to stretch the floor? He's done that this year, hit four threes last night. He's one of Denver's better three-point shooters on the season. Did you think he had this in him from three-point range? Heck no. No, I, I, I didn't see this coming at all. Um, it feels like every single game I'm tweeting the same thing. Like, Monty Morris is having a really good game. So solid, you guys. But no, I, I did not see him shooting the ball 43.8% from three-point land coming at all. Uh, Monte shot 33.1% in the G League last year from three. So, you know, a pretty average to, to slightly below average mark. You know, I, I think the key for him is he put a ton of time in in the gym this summer. Uh, he, he talked about, you know, tweaking his shot. Um, his focus was not letting his guide hand interfere in a shot. At, at times, his thumb on his left hand would kind of get in there and he'd push the ball left or right. His guide hand is is just more of, you know, holding the ball in place rather than launching the ball and, and he's shooting it a lot straighter as a result, I think. Monte hit four or five threes uh, against Memphis and I believe two of those were in the fourth quarter. I mean, just so many big shots from him. I, I didn't see this coming at all from his outside stroke. I, I mean, one of the best things you can say about Monte is that dude works hard. I mean, every time we went to a workout this summer, Monte was in the gym getting in some work. Uh, that dude loves his craft. I think he loves playing the game of basketball, and he's going to put in the work to get better. How about the breakdown Monte Morris gave of some of the odd tactics, I'll say, that he deployed this summer to get his guide hand a little further off the ball? It involved a Spearmint gum wrapper. I hope Monte Morris gets a little sponsorship deal from Spearmint out of this. You wrote about it in your post game last night, but he would hold his left thumb and index finger close enough together to grip a gum wrapper. How in a world where technology is so advanced, guys studying plays on their iPhones and whatnot, how do we have a guy reworking his jumper thanks to a gum wrapper? <laughs> I don't know. Extra gum liked a couple of my tweets today. So it wouldn't be too far-fetched if Monte somehow got a gum sponsorship out of all of this. I don't know. Are they man. just going on Twitter searching the word gum? They must be. I guess that's pretty weird. How do I behavior. get that job? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that to me too, that would be kind of weird, keeping your, your thumb and your index finger that close when you shoot. I mean, I, I certainly don't do that when, I, when I'm holding the ball in place with my guide hand. That would, that would feel a little bit weird. And 
Monte said it felt awful for like the first couple of the weeks. He said he didn't feel comfortable with it until after summer league, which means that, you know, he, he probably didn't have a, a whole lot of confidence in his shot when we watched him play in July in Las Vegas when he looked great, by the way. Yeah, it looked improved then from what it was in the G League. Changing your shot has got to be incredibly tough at this point in his career. Sure, Monte Morris was coming off a rookie season, right? But he's been shooting it that way going back to college, to high school, to middle school, his entire life, right? That's thousands and thousands, probably like a million shots that he's taken with that old form. Probably 18 years of his life. (laughs) Exactly. And then changing that to a different form in one summer to reverse all the muscle memory from 18 years of shooting a basketball to reverse that in what? May, June, July, August, September, October, six months. That's crazy. That's unbelievable. That takes an incredible amount of work and patience too, not to get discouraged. Like how discouraged would you be and how much would you doubt what these coaches are telling you or want to doubt what they're telling you when you know, it's the middle of June or the middle of July and everything you're shooting is short because you're trying to adjust to this new form and you know you could shoot it better if you were going back to your old form. It's got to take an incredible amount of patience and just the ability to take the long view to go through something like that. I thought one of the other good Monte tidbits from last night um, came when Michael Malone was talking after the game. Uh, Michael Malone told the story about on the road trip, um, there was an opposing guard who was really getting up in Monte's business and you know pressuring him full court. And Malone and Monte had a little chat. Here's what Malone said. The opposing guards are really getting into him and pressuring him, and he's still trying to run the play. I grabbed him. I said, listen, if they pressure you, forget the play. Go buy him and make a play. Once I said that, he said, bet, I got you. First of all, Monte Morris definitely said that, and I bet that was a direct quote. That sounds like something he would say. And two... There, there's such a trust between Malone and, and Morris right now, and you can understand why, because this guy just comes in and has the best freaking assist-to-turnover ratio in the NBA, but it says a lot about Monte's you know, poise and maturity and wisdom beyond his years that, that Malone's basically like, yeah, man, go, go and do your thing. I trust you. I believe that game was against Toronto. Yeah, I think it was Van Vliet getting up in him. Because it's not the first time we've heard Monte Morris and Fred Van Vliet's name mentioned in the same sentence. Fred Van Vliet is the guy Nuggets coaches came to Monte Morris at the end of last season and said, hey, we want you to play like this guy when you get on the court next year. We want you to be a disruptor who's going to pick up full court, who's going to inject some energy into the game. And sure enough, the Nuggets bench unit this year has looked like the Raptors bench unit of last year. Everybody couldn't stop talking about how good that Toronto second five was uh, last season. The Nuggets second five has been just as good this year. And Monte Morris has kind of been the Fred Van Vliet uh, of this team. So I believe that was the game. And yeah, Van Vliet was pressuring Morris a lot. And I mean, you've seen Monte over these last couple games, I think, just play with a different level of confidence. We're seeing Mike Malone let Monte Morris kind of run his team. And uh, I think we've seen him let Jamal Murray kind of run the starters a little bit. Obviously, it's easier when you've got a guy like Nikola Jokic out there. But how about the amount of trust that the Nuggets have in Monte Morris, who played 25 minutes with this team in his rookie season? And now he's playing around 30 minutes a night for a team who's the third best in the West. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he's essentially a rookie. It's incredible. Um, He's probably been, I don't know, fifth most valuable player in the Nuggets this year, something like that. Yeah, I mean, if I had to rank it right now, uh, I would 
go with Jokic and Millsap as my top two. And with the amount of time that Gary's missed, I think I'm ready to slot Monte third. And we, we've talked about this a couple times the past couple of weeks, but I don't think there's – there's no way you can yank Monte Morris out of the rotation at this point. There's no way. No. I, it doesn't matter what happens. I said this last week. He's got to be playing at least 20 minutes a game. 20 minutes is a threshold where I think he can still really make a big impact on a game. You get into the 13, 15 range. It's tough to get a rhythm playing those minutes, but if he's playing around 20 or at least 20, I think he can still have the same type of impact that he's having right now. So when Isaiah Thomas is playing, Monte Moore should be playing at least 20 minutes a night. He's too good to take off the floor right now. Nuggets are too good of a team with him on the floor to, to sit him down right now. I want to talk about Torrey Craig's night and what he's done over the past couple weeks because I believe it's a storyline that's running a bit under the radar here. And I want to go all the way back to the Nuggets 105-98 win in Oklahoma City. That win that probably is one of their most impressive of the season. And going back to that game, Torrey Craig's really dug in on the defensive end of the floor. He started all these games at shooting guard really, without Gary Harris in the lineup. And I want to read you off some stat lines of opposing all-star point guards that Torrey Craig has guarded over these last couple of weeks because he's starting and he's not guarding small forwards. He's not guarding shooting guards. He's guarding the opposing team's point guard. So going back to that Thunder game, he held Russell Westbrook to 6 of 23 shooting and 1 of 12 from 3. And some of that was... I guess Westbrook just being Westbrook and just jacking up a lot of threes he probably shouldn't have, but Torrey played good defense on him that night. Two games later, he holds Damian Lillard to 6 of 16 shooting. After that, against the Toronto Raptors, it's Kyle Lowry. 1 of 7 shooting for Kyle Lowry against the Nuggets, and Torrey Craig was guarding him for most of that night. The Magic, they don't really have that kind of all-star level point guard, but then in the Nuggets' next game against the Charlotte Hornets, Torrey Craig holds Kemba Walker to 4 of 11 shooting. Walker did get 21 points, but I think Craig did a pretty good job on him for the most part. The Atlanta Hawks, not really that all-star or that really even starter-level point guard, but still, Torrey Craig holds Trey Young to 3 of 12 shooting. He was really a non-factor in that game with Torrey Craig guarding him. And even though Mike Conley kind of got off in the third and fourth quarter, he didn't get off until Torrey went out with an injury, I believe midway through the third, and still Conley was only 5 of 14 from the field. The job Torrey Craig has done on these opposing point guards over the last two weeks has been incredible. And it's not even like these guys are just good starting level point guards. These are all-star caliber point guards that he's doing it against. Yeah, I mean, I got to tip my hat a little bit to Craig there. Um, he did a solid job on Conley. He was fantastic against Westbrook. Um, a couple weeks ago, he'll get another chance to guard him on Friday. I will say, though, I'm pretty worried about this Jamal Murray, Craig, Wancho, Plumley, Jokic starting lineup that the Nuggets rolled out on, on Monday night. Denver got outscored by nine points in 17 minutes with, with that quintet. They shot just 10 of 25 from the field and committed five turnovers with their starters on the floor. I mean, Memphis just crushed Denver coming out of halftime. And I guess that my concern... I'm cool with, with Plumlee and Jokic. Like, you're in a tight spot. I'm cool with that. But I think when you throw Craig in there with those guys, then it really gunks up the spacing. Um, I think I would probably rather see 
Malik Beasley in there in the starting lineup just because he's going to be a little more of a threat offensively. And like I said, I mean, hats off to Torrey Craig for the job he's done defensively, but I just think you need a little more offense in there. Yeah, potentially. I mean, the fact that the Nuggets could not get off to good starts in first and third quarters, that was the reason why Mike Malone originally changed the starting lineup. This was, of course, back when Gary Harris was healthy and inserted Wancho for Torrey Craig. And obviously he's gone back to Torrey now that Gary's been out for these last few games. But yeah, I'm concerned with you. I'm, I'm also concerned that we're not going to see the Nuggets get off to hot starts in the first and third quarters with this lineup. It's not a very offensive first lineup. At the beginning of the game, those were some of the ugliest five minutes of basketball from both teams. Denver and Memphis that I've seen this season at the beginning of Monday's game. Uh, And then in the third quarter, yeah, the Nuggets kind of got their doors blown off and it really took the bench unit with Monte and Mason Plumlee, who we should probably also talk about a lot tonight too, to really get Denver into that game again and get them back within striking distance in the fourth quarter. Let's go ahead and take another break. We'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. Hey, BSN fans, your favorite Colorado sports network has partnered with your favorite Colorado beer, and we're giving them away for free. But in true BSN fashion, we're not letting you go to some major chain for it. We want you to go to your local neighborhood bar and support a real Colorado business. That's why we've created the bar page where any BSN subscriber can go in and get a free beer whenever they want. Just go to bsnbars.com and you can get one free Coors Banquet at any bar on that list. All you have to do is show the bartender the VIP image on that page in your browser and you can retrieve a free Coors Banquet beer at any of those bars. There are over 20 bars there. You're sure to find one close to you. It's bsnbars.com. Find a bar and get a free Coors Banquet on the house. Thanks for listening to the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets Podcast presented by in we go Tuesday edition of the show. It's probably taken us too long in tonight's episode to get to what Mason Plumley contributed on Monday. Michael Malone called him the unsung hero of this team last year. He's definitely lived up to that title this year. He's been great all season and he steps into the starting lineup against Memphis like I think we thought he would. 12 points, 5 and 9 shooting, 10 rebounds, 2 blocks, although I swear he got 2 in the 4th quarter which would have given him 3. Might not have gotten credit for one. What do you think of his night? And not only just the 35 minutes he played against Memphis, but just the role he's played this year for this team. When I went back and watched that fourth quarter, it struck me just how much Plumlee was flying around. I mean, this was a a lot of minutes for him, uh, many more than he's accustomed to playing lately. And he was just going balls to the wall there in in the fourth quarter. I mean, blowing up ball screens, uh, got a block. Um, forced another, I mean, I, he went up and contested a shot, and the guy just pretty much threw it out of bounds. Plumlee has been everywhere on the defensive end this season. I mean, the effort he's playing with is pretty remarkable. I, I think really the only negative thing you you can say about him on the defensive end is sometimes he gets a little foul prone. He did a good job of staying staying out of foul trouble in this game, but everything else has been a plus with him defensively. And He's just sticking to what he can do offensively, too. I mean, rim runs, throwing down alley-oops, and and then taking the post-ups when they're there. A perfect example of a guy understanding exactly what his role should be. And just he's he's just a winning player, man. 
Yeah, that's the most impressive thing about Plumlee, I believe. Him understanding his role. It's not to score. It's to be a force on the defensive end of the floor, take the dunks, take the alley-oops when they're there. And he can also play make a little bit. That's what you forget about Mason Plumlee. He was one of the best passing centers in the league when the Nuggets traded for him from Portland. And sure enough, he goes to a team with the best passing big man of all time on it. And so he's a little overshadowed. But I think we forget from time to time how good of a passer he really is. And we see that on a, on occasion. But I agree with you. Watching that fourth quarter, he was everywhere. He was flying around. You also forget how athletic this guy is. This guy is an unbelievable athlete from the center position. Seven feet tall, can jump out of the gym, can sky for alley-oops. The block he had at the end of the game and the plays he was making at the end of Monday's win in the fourth quarter were so impressive. And there's a big misconception out there that the Plumlee-Jokic two-man pairing is not good for the Nuggets. For two years in a row, that pairing has been unbelievable. The Nuggets have been unbelievable when Jokic and Plumlee are playing together. And I know it's not one that a lot of fans like, but it's something that works. It's something that produces winning basketball. I'm perfectly fine with the Nuggets rolling with the Jokic Plumlee starting front court until Paul Millsap's able to come back. That That's a pretty good option for them. Those guys have figured out how to play well together. Plumlee can protect Jokic defensively, and, and Jokic probably doesn't need that much protecting anymore, but he, he provides a little bit of support. Like I said earlier, though, I just think you need a little more shooting paired with those guys. I just think it gets tough when you got Craig out there with them. I, I would kind of like to see Beasley, but I anticipate we're going to see Craig against OKC because he did such a good job guarding Westbrook their last matchup. When Plumlee and Jokic were out there last night, 26 minutes, so a lot more than those two usually play together. The 26 minutes was almost the same amount that those two had played together up until this game. They were a minus two last night, and I think you saw that because it's probably a bit more minutes than they should be playing, I think, on a night-to-night basis. like They're really good together in small to medium doses. Maybe not in your large dose that you got from Memphis. And in an ideal world, they wouldn't be playing 26 minutes together if Paul Millsap was healthy, if they had a full assortment of players. But yeah, the Nuggets have been really good with those guys on the floor this year, especially on the defensive end, an 83.5 defensive rating in 52 minutes so far this season when Plumlee and Jokic have been on the floor. And how good they've been defensively is along the lines of what we saw last year with that pairing defensively. So it might not be the easiest on the eyes. It might not be what Nuggets fans like surrounding uh, Jokic with Plumlee instead of four shooters and four off-ball movers. But hey, it's worked. And desperate times call for desperate measures. There's probably no lineup combination out there that Michael Malone won't consider right now because a win, no matter how you get it, is the only thing that matters right now. We've got two questions from the Total Beverage Fan Hotline that I want to get to. And again, if you got a question for the show, 1-800-BSN-8394, 1-800-BSN-8394. Let's go there right now. Hello, this is Corey from Florida. My question is, with all the injuries, we see Nikola Jokic stepping up. He's scored, I haven't looked at the, the exact numbers, but above 20 points per game in the last two games. So what is Nikola Jokic's points per game going to increase to, do you think, at, uh, while we're de- dealing with all these injuries and 
with uh, Paul Millsap. And uh, Gary Harris is going to be out for the next month, it looks like. So what do you think his points per game is going to be by January? Uh, thanks for all the content you guys have on bsndenver.com. And go Nuggets. All right, thanks for the question. As always, Corey, love hearing from you, man. So I'll give you the rundown on Jokic's stat line right now, Christian. 17.1 points per game. 13.0 field goal attempts per game. I'll go first here. I will predict we'll see his field goal attempts per game go up to around 17 per game over this stretch. That's a that's a big uptick. And I think we'll see his scoring average go up to around 24 points per game. You know why I settled on those numbers? It's because that's what Jokic averaged about in the last 18 games of the 2017-18 season. He averaged 24 points per game on around 17 shots per game. And going back to the point I made earlier in the show, that's the type of Nikola Jokic I believe we're going to get with Paul Millsap out over these next couple weeks. So I will say including Monday's game. You can even throw that game in Atlanta in there. I think we're going to see Jokic's field goal attempts go up to around 17 per game. I'll say it over the rest of December while Paul Millsap stays out, and I'll say his points per game go up to around 24. So you think Jokic is going into that mode? Yeah. Okay. I, I like it. Oh, man. I don't know. That was That was a pretty high place. I don't know if Jokic can get quite there again. I would expect something pretty similar, but I don't know, man. I mean, he was like God mode for those last 18 games last year. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's not going to go God mode, but um, he's going to have some big games, I think, over this next stretch. And the 17 field goal attempts per game, that's not even that crazy of a number. He had 18 field goal attempts against Charlotte, 17 against Atlanta. I think he can get there easily. And then yeah, the, the 24 points per game, that's about the impact I think we're going to see him have over these next three weeks. One of the reasons why Jokic is one of my favorite players to watch, I don't know if you saw that Toronto writer refer to Jokic as a seven-foot bag of milk, but did you see that? Yeah, uh, it, that was a great description, man. It was great. Yeah, that that cracked me up when I read it, but it, it's just hilarious to me that you know that was a pretty apt description. A seven foot bag of milk can just crush NBA competition, like Marcus All. I mean, a guy who's been an All NBA center. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense, but it's beautiful, and he's perfect for Denver. All right, let's go back to Total Beverage Fan Hotline. One more question I want to get to before we get out of here tonight. Let's go there right now. Hey, it's Chris in Denver. Good one over the Grizzlies tonight. Uh, a couple of things I noticed. Um, first off, this is the first poorly attended game at the Pepsi Center I've noticed. I haven't checked the official attendance, but it looks like it was about halfway full. Uh, second, with the uh, with the performance tonight, do you think does this change how maybe how maybe they'll be able to weather the storm with a few of these guys out? Um, I know the last two games they dropped at the end of that tough road trip were at the end of the end of a long road trip after the injuries had just piled up. Do you think maybe getting some rest, maybe being at home changes things? Third, uh, one thing, you know, I, a lot of people like to dump on Swaggy P, and, I mean, let's be honest, he, he does make it easy to, 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 to rip on, but I noticed Craig missed a lot of open shots tonight. One thing about uh, one thing about Swaggy is he's not going to miss those open threes if you give him a wide open look. Um, I actually kind of like the signing after watching tonight's game. 
if he'll kind of buy into the team's defensive philosophy, if he'll pass it around and just take the shot when he's open, I think he could be a great addition. He brings championship pedigree, a veteran presence to the locker room, and I think he'd be the second oldest guy on the team to uh, Paul Millsap. Uh, curious your thoughts on the win. Curious your thoughts on where we go from here. Uh, looks like they're going to get a much-needed break before they play the Thunder on Friday. Uh, as always, love the show. Keep the great work, and go Nuggets. Thanks, Chris, for the call. Here's what I'll say about the attendance. I agree. It was a poorly attended game against Memphis on Monday. Not like I expected much different. I mean, Monday night is tough to draw people for sure. Let's check in on the Nuggets' attendance numbers, though, for the year. This is on ESPN, and I don't know where to get attendance reports other than ESPN. I assume this is mostly accurate, and they just take it from the box score. But the Nuggets are 16th overall in attendance this year. That's a big jump up from what they were last year. And we predicted an attendance spike, but 16th is really good, considering uh, they were 20th last year, and I believe they were bottom or towards the bottom. Yeah, 30th in 2017. So uh, they're on the up and up. Attendance has been really good this year. I think crowds have been really into these games. Fans are cheering hard. I expect a big crowd Friday against the Thunder. Nice little Friday night crowd at Pepsi Center. Everybody's a little sauced up on a Friday night. The Thunder bring out the fans too with Westbrook there. It should be a good crowd. And Blaze too, because people from Colorado smoke weed, Harrison. Did you know that? You know who's going to be at Pepsi Center performing at halftime later this month? Oh. 303. <laughs> who's that? Wow. You don't know who 303 is. Oh, wait. From Boulder, Colorado. They actually filmed one of their music videos inside my high school, inside Fairview High School. I joked on Twitter when Pretty Lights or a member from Pretty Lights did a halftime performance at Pepsi Center earlier this year that I'd seen them like 300 times in concert. That was over-exaggerating a little. I've probably seen 303 in concert more times than I'd seen Pretty Lights in concert. I knew Pretty Lights, old dude from Pretty Lights was from the Springs, yeah. I, I didn't know about 303, though. Yeah, uh, 303 will be at Pepsi Center performing a halftime show. I personally can't wait from kind of knowing one of the members from 303. But anyways. Whoa, name drop. (laughs) Anyways, should be a good crowd on hand Friday night against the Thunder. Let's move on to the other part of Chris's question there. Does the win against Memphis have you any more optimistic about the Nuggets over this current stretch? Look, I didn't think the sky was falling by any means, like I heard from a lot of Nuggets fans when all these injured guys went down. I didn't think the season was over or anything. They'll get through it. It's not going to be pretty. We're probably going to see some more knockdown, drag it out games like Memphis over the next couple weeks, but they'll be able to get through it. If they can go 500, that should be a massive win. If they can go 500 throughout the rest of December. And then in January, I think you'll see them start to get some resemblance of a healthy roster again. Last part of Chris's question was about none other than Swaggy P. I guess he is the second oldest player on the roster. That's technically accurate. But Swaggy P is 33 going on 24. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I, I guess the numbers are accurate, but... I don't know that Swaggy P has that uh, veteran maturity. Although, yes, I mean, I I do think it was a good pickup, all things considered, for the Nuggets. I'll tell you this. I wrote about this following Nick's introductory press conference here, but there is one intangible that he can provide to this team in the locker room. The one thing you notice about Nick Young uh, when you see him walk the hallways is this guy never stops smiling. He's always in a good mood. And that can kind of rub off on some of these guys in the Nuggets locker room because going back to when they lost 6-7, to 
We know how low spirits were. And sometimes you just kind of need a guy who's going to lift up the room and maybe crack a joke or just do something stupid that's going to cut the tension, you know? Maybe Nick Young can be that guy. That's where I see some value to this signing. And look, I think there's a scenario out there where he could contribute in a 10-minute-per-game role maybe 15 minute per game. I was a bit surprised we didn't see him Monday because these guys looked tired. They looked gassed, especially in that third and fourth quarters. And I guess Michael Malone didn't want to go to him, but he is a 37% career three-point shooter. He's made a lot of threes in this league. Yeah, he hasn't shot the ball in a NBA game since last season with the Warriors, but he's made threes before. He knows how to act on an NBA court. So it's not like you're throwing a Devon Akun Purcell out there. It's not like you're throwing a Brandon Goodwin or a G League guy out there who's never done it before. Yeah, the Nuggets pretty much went eight deep again versus Memphis. Michael Malone tried to get Tyler Lydon, a.k.a. Spicy Mayo, in there. His two-minute, ten-second stint didn't go very well. So, yeah, it was really ten, it was really eight guys who played double-digit minutes. You, you can't keep going on like that. you you got to have nine guys at least, or else some guys are just going to get really worn down. And I want to get your take on this. What do you what do you think the saddest Nick Young has ever been in his life? I think it was probably when he was at Dave & Buster's playing the claw machine and he picked up a stuffed animal, and then it looked like the stuffed animal was going to go in the chute, but at the last second, it dropped, and it didn't go in the chute. That would be my guess. <laughs> is that a true story? No, I just made that up. But he's just a happy guy is my point. You're you're totally spot on with that. Every time he talks, he just can't even finish a sentence because he starts smiling and laughing. It's pretty much how all his responses to questions go. Yeah. I, <laughs> just can't even get a full sentence out because he'll start laughing in the middle of it. I wish I had that. <laughs> Anyways, I think that's all we got for tonight. I do predict, though, that Nick Young will start playing some minutes for this team. I don't think they're going to continue to go with eight guys. It's just it, you can't go on like that for you know a two, three-week stretch without it catching up to you. So we'll see what happens on Friday against the Thunder. The Nuggets have a couple off days here. I think they were completely off here on Tuesday. They'll practice again Wednesday. And we'll be recording shows throughout the rest of the week, of course. Keep sending in your guys' questions. Hit me on Twitter if you got any questions. And if you got a second, head on over to iTunes. It takes literally 20 seconds. Drop us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. It helps us grow the show. Helps us know that you guys appreciate what we're doing. And we'll be back with another episode on Wednesday. Talk with you then. What if we told you that whiskey and vodka weren't just for drinking? It's true, Jason and Erica, owners of Distilled Bath and Body, created Pit Liquor. You heard me right, Pit Liquor. It's an all-natural deodorant that actually works. Ramona found Pit Liquor online and now says she's a customer of theirs for life. Pit Liquor is wonderful. They save my underarms. No more sweaty, itchy underarms for me. So I definitely love them and will be a customer as long as it keeps the smell, I guess, away. Pit Liquor has no harmful chemicals or toxins and doesn't have any ingredients you wouldn't find in Grandma's kitchen. I came across Pit Liquor online on Instagram. I saw an ad advertising no baking soda used in their product. So the difference between Pit Liquor and other natural deodorant is 
I do not stink. <laughs> I tried several, several different brands and either I end up with an itchy rash or it doesn't last. But pit liquor for me lasts all day. Pit liquor's risk-free guarantee should put your mind at ease. Head to pitlicker.com and use the promo code number one fan to save 11% and have it shipped straight to your home. That's hashtag one fan.